Once upon a time, a rich business owner was walking along the shore when he came upon a fisherman who was sitting lazily by his boat. Why aren't you out there fishing, he said. The weather is great. Well, because I've caught enough fish for today, said the fisherman. Well, why don't you catch more than you need, the rich man asked. Well, what would I do with them, said the fisherman. Well, you could earn more money, came the impatient reply, and buy a better boat so that you could go deeper and catch more fish. You could buy better nets, catch even more fish, and then make even more money. And then soon you'd have a fleet of boats and be rich like me. And the fisherman said, well, then what would I do? Well, then you could sit down and enjoy your life, said the rich businessman. And then the fisherman replied, well, what do you think I'm doing now? <laughs> Can you think of a time in history, in society, where that story is more applicable to us than it is today? We live in a world that is so fixated on the pursuit of happiness, um, on temporal pleasures, things that don't last, and it, it's an attitude and a mindset that is infectious. Why settle for what I have now when I can have more? You know, my TV works great, but it's only 55 inches, and there's an 80-inch 4K TV on sale at Best Buy. I gotta get it. My car is only five years old, and it works fine. It's in great shape. I just paid it off, but the new model is so cool, and it has a whole bunch of new features. Maybe I should trade mine in and get it. Or maybe for you, it's all about money or time or work. You know, if you just keep working uh, all that extra overtime and banking money, if you just sacrifice a few more minutes with your family, you'll, you'll finally have it made. You'll be able to finally take your family on that vacation you've been dreaming about. Or maybe you can finally get that promotion that you've wanted or the raise you wanted. Or you can finally get to a nice, long, and happy retirement. If you just sacrifice a little bit more of the happiness and contentment that you could have now, if you just get a little farther and make a little more money, if you just get that thing you've been dreaming of for so long, then you will be truly happy. Then you'll finally experience that fulfillment and that contentment you've been working so hard to get. Have you ever caught yourself thinking or saying one of these things? If you have, you're in good company, because I definitely have. This is our final week of the Philippians series. Uh, but unfortunately for you, Paul was not as fond of uh, soft landings as I am. So in his concluding notes, the very end of this letter, instead of coming down for a nice soft landing, landing the plane, he chose to address one of the most divisive topics known to humanity, money. Now, as excited as I'm sure you would be for me to preach about money today, I'm not going to do that. I felt instead drawn to discuss the real issue here, which is contentment. Because we're never content in the things of this world, so long as we're trying to fill our souls with things that don't actually satisfy us. Because contentment in life is not found in those things. True contentment is found in Christ alone. Every Christian can find joy and contentment in any circumstance to the power and strength of Jesus. So let's read this last passage of Scripture from Philippians. This is chapter 4, verses 10 to 23. 
I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I am well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except for you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more would be credited to your account. I have received full payment and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied, now that I have received from Epaphroditus, the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Alright, so that is all that's left in Philippians. We're going to cover it all today, uh, and then we're done. Uh, so let's just start at verse 10 and go from there. I'll just read it again because the, there is a lot here. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So this is one of those verses that, when you read it just at face value, you can tell the translation from Greek to English has not done it justice. Uh, what we know here is that the Philippians had sent money with Epaphroditus when he came to Paul in Rome. We talked about him a few weeks ago. Now, when you just read that first part, um, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me, it kind of feels like the worst thank you in the history of thank yous. They sent him money. We don't know how much, but enough to take care of his needs. And it must have been a while since they'd done so, because he essentially says, I thank the Lord that you finally realized that you should be helping me out. But <laughs> as bad as that sounds, when you read that next part, you realize that all he means is that he was happy they finally had a chance to help him. Uh, and we don't know why they hadn't before, but he kind of clarifies they hadn't been able to help him earlier. Maybe there was no one traveling from Philippi to Rome. Uh, we, we don't know, but it really did not translate well, that first part. And then Philippians 4, 11 to 12 kind of um, takes that clarification and almost makes it sound uh, bad again in a way. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what, is need, what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So Paul says, uh, after he clarified that, oh, they hadn't had a chance to help him, he said, but I didn't actually need your help. <laughs> So it gets even worse, you know, thanks for sending the money, finally. Uh, I know you didn't really have a chance, but I didn't actually need your help. Um, so it really is just getting worse and worse as you go on. But 
But the reason he says this, and again, I really do believe that this is just a bad translation to English. Um, the reason is that he didn't need their assistance because he'd learned the secret to being content no matter what he had, based on detaching himself from the circumstances of life. He's grateful that they sent this money, but he's learned that even if he's starving and has nothing, that he can be content. And that is what he means when he says he doesn't need it. Whatever conditions of life he finds himself in, he's learned how to be content. And he uses a couple interesting words here. Um, the first one we translate as learned the secret. And the idea that it conveys is of a secret knowledge that is discovered through living life. And so his point here is that, in part, his contentment in his circumstances has been learned through experience, through having the ups as well as the downs. He's learned through all of those situations he's been in to be content. And then the next rare word that he uses is the one that we translate as to be content. And the reason it's interesting to me is that the actual literal translation or sense of it is to be self-reliant. And I think that's a really interesting and weird word to use here considering the verses around it, as you'll see. But what we see is that when he's referring to being self-reliant or self-sufficient, he's talking about self-sufficiency that comes through the strength of Jesus, which is kind of a paradox, and we'll talk about that a bit as well. So in these verses, he uses three contrasts that show all the different examples of how he's experienced good and bad and how he's learned to be content in all these situations. The first, he says, living humbly and living in prosperity. He's had both. Being filled and being hungry. He's experienced both of those. And then having abundance and suffering in need. He's also lived in both of those situations. And there's so many places in scripture, uh, he says to the Corinthians, and he says in our letter too about his history in life, he talks about all the different ways he's been you know, beaten and shipwrecked and all these things. So he has had as many ups and downs in life as you could possibly imagine, much more than we hopefully will ever experience. But the point is that whatever the situation that he was in, when things were financially good or bad, he'd learned to be content with what he was given. Now, you may never have heard of Stoicism before. Maybe you have. And I'm going to bring this up because it was a huge Greek philosophy during the time this letter was written. Uh, it was a philosophy that praised those who could be content when they had nothing as well as when they had lots. So it's kind of a, a popular philosophy at the time that he's writing this. In fact, a saying that they had in this Stoicism group was that the wise man needed no one but themselves and they were completely independent. So, something Paul does often is he kind of plays into the things in the culture, uh, because that's what people are used to and can relate to, but then he kind of takes it and, and shifts it so that it's actually um, relating to the gospel instead of these popular culture things. It's, it's basically just uh, using the things that people are familiar with to preach the gospel. So, I wanted to make sure everyone uh, recognized that that's what he's doing here. Um, is he's relating to uh, thoughts and ideas and concepts that the people were used to. But with all the parallels to this Stoicism, Christianity obviously differs in a number of ways because we don't believe that we are totally just self-sufficient and take care of ourselves. 
And you'll kind of see that in this next verse, which is a famous verse in Christianity. Philippians 4.13, he says, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. That's not stoicism. That's not some sort of vain self-reliance. It's also not just the result of learning through experience how to be content. That's a part of how Paul has learned to be content, but that is not the key to it. The key to it, where he received his strength to do this from, is a relationship through Jesus. And it was from the strength he's received from Jesus that he is able to do all these things. He was able to take on whatever circumstances that life threw at him because he had strength from Jesus. Not because he had some sort of inner fortitude that others don't have. He wasn't some sort of superhero. He was an apostle, but he was just a man. And we have the same spirit living in us that he did. Now, some people will take this passage a bit out of context and try to say that Paul was making a blanket statement about anything possible in life that Christians can do when he says, I can do all things. But that isn't what the context here actually suggests. First of all, the context of the passage is talking about material and physical needs. Through the day-to-day fluctuations of one's life, when he had lots, but also when he had nothing, when he was full and he didn't have to worry about food, but also when he was starving, he had a stability that allowed him to rise above the worry and to be content. Now, when studying scripture, the rule of context means that you have to apply the verse based on the context in which it's written. And that's really important because otherwise you could take a verse and use it for whatever you want, uh, which lots of people do. But what that means here is that this verse should be applied to economic matters or living amidst the fluctuations in life. No matter what life throws at you, you can get through all of it through Jesus who gives you strength. The second reason that I think that this is really important to recognize as being about these economic things is that Paul expressed his dependence on the power of Jesus. He knew and understood that where Jesus led him in life, that is where he had the power. The will of God limited the application of this strength he'd been given, if that makes sense. And and so many people who will misapply this verse hope to kind of cover all their actions with a blanket promise of power, but it only comes in truth through the will of God in submitting to his plans. And, And kind of what I mean by all this as an example is that if you're a Christian, you won't suddenly be able to, I don't know, fly a plane or read people's minds through the strength of Jesus. You can't do anything, period, through his strength. That's not what it means. He quite literally is saying, Jesus strengthens me to live through whatever circumstances come my way and to find contentment regardless. And that is what I mean when I say that it is a paradox. Paul is only strong when he is weak. He is only independent and self-sufficient when he is completely and utterly dependent on God. Verses 14 to 17. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, 
except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. So, regardless of the fact that Paul said he didn't need their help or need their support, he still is happy they gave it. He commends them for giving that because, unfortunately, their help and support was unique. After he left Macedonia, which is today northern Greece, they were the only church to financially support him at that time. When they first heard the gospel from Paul, when he first came on his mission journey, they immediately understood that what he was teaching them had huge implications for their lives. And not just for them, but also for others. So from the very beginning, they did whatever they could to support Paul's mission because they recognized the significance of it. And it really was not easy in the early days of his ministry in northern Greece. When Paul was in Philippi, he was beaten and thrown into prison. And then Thessalonica, which is just down the road, he preached uh, to the level where it caused a riot among the Jews in the city, which forced him to leave. But the Philippians supported him financially the entire time. When he was in Thessalonica, he wasn't there for long, but they sent him money twice, and it was right after he'd first preached in Philippi. So they just heard the gospel, they just met Paul, they just received, and then he goes to Thessalonica down the road, and they send him help twice in that period. Paul calls their support a matter of giving and receiving, and that is, uh, in the Greek, it's actually financial terms. So in other documents dating from the period, you see those phrases in a lot of business documents. There's this uh, reciprocal, I give to you, you give back. But when he says that the other churches did not support him, he uses the common word for fellowship, or koinonia. And so what he's kind of subtly pointing out is that the other churches had received from him, but not given. They had a one-way relationship in the gospel. Now that was concerning for two reasons. First of all, when they received, they had a responsibility to share and to give. But second, they were also missing on the spiritual blessings that come from giving. Now the Philippians, on the other hand, they understood both of these principles, and they acted on that. And that brought joy to Paul's heart. It's why he said he rejoiced when they renewed their concern for him. Verses 18 to 19, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And we talked about him again a few weeks ago. He'd been sent to Paul to help, and he'd been presumably sent with gifts and financial assistance. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So the gifts that had been brought by Epaphroditus had completely met all his needs, but he uses this sacrificial language here to describe them. He calls them a sacrificial offering to God, a fragrant offering. And this is allusion to Old Testament sacrifices. That's the kind of language that was always used of sacrifices that were pleasing to God uh, because they came from obedient hearts. So for the Philippians, there were two main benefits to their giving. First of all, God was pleased. Their gift was an acceptable sacrifice to him. 
he was pleased because they gave with a cheerful spirit. And what this passage reveals to us is that our physical acts in life can become spiritual in motivation and in importance and purpose. So through this, Paul reveals that giving is actually, it's not just a physical thing, it's a spiritual exercise. The second thing that this reveals is that they would experience God's provision as a result. Just as God had met Paul's needs in the work of the gospel, so God would meet their needs. But I think it's important to remember a couple things. First of all, that rule of context I talked about earlier. Uh, Paul is speaking to those who had actively supported the kingdom work. Uh, but the second thing is that uh, you'll, you'll hear churches and preachers discussing this on TV or on the news, but uh, you're not going to... Giving and, and the church is not a get-rich path. That's never, ever going to be what it's about. What this is about is if you give to God, he will meet your needs. You might not define a need the same as he does. And so it's good to be aware of that. You know, you see Paul here. He, he was at times starving and sleeping on the streets, but he was content in Christ. God met his needs. And so the takeaway is that God meets the needs of those who give to him. In the context and in the process of ministering to others, God will minister to you as well. And then finally... After 10 weeks, we come to the final conclusion of the letter to the Philippians. He says in verses 20 to 23, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greeting. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. And that's a little bit of a flex to say, you know, I'm in house arrest, but... Uh, people in Caesar's own household are being converted, and they say hello. <laughs> and then he concludes the entire letter by saying, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Okay, so when, when we look back on the examples that have been left for us in Scripture, such as the life of Paul, it, it can almost be embarrassing to compare them to our own lives. We chase comforts and pleasures. We try to save money so that we can go on trips and vacations. We work long hours so that we can buy things to make us happy, and we complain if our meal takes five minutes too long in a restaurant. In comparison, Paul had been stoned, put in prison, whipped on multiple occasions, beaten with rods, shipwrecked three times. One of those times he was left floating out at sea for days. Many times he went without food and water or slept in the cold outdoors without enough clothing to keep him warm. And yet he says in our passage today that he had learned the secret to being content in life, regardless of circumstances, through the strength of Jesus. So how can we today, in our circumstances, much different than Paul's, find this contentment in Christ? So, I guess what I'll say about these three is that they're not mutually exclusive. They are all together. Obviously, you'll see one of them is more important than the other, though. The first way is that contentment must be learned through experience. Paul knew what it meant to have plenty, to be blessed. 
But he also knew what it meant to have nothing. He'd experienced both of these things. Throughout his life, he'd lived at both ends of that spectrum, and he knew how to live and be content regardless of wealth or poverty. And you know, I kind of thought about this one for a bit this week, and I kind of came to the conclusion, this is just my own opinion, so if you don't agree, just throw it away, that's fine. But I think it's easier to be content when we have little than it is when we have plenty. And again, maybe this is just my opinion, but when you only have little, you know that the little you have is all there is. And you value it more because that's what there is. You are more content with little things, little pleasures in life that when you have plenty, you don't take the time to slow down and appreciate. But when you have plenty, you always want more. And what used to make you happy yesterday just isn't enough today. And again, that's just my opinion, so if you don't agree, I won't be offended, just throw it out, totally fine. But in both of those circumstances, contentment is learned through experience. It's why you always hear older guys telling young guys like me to not rush through life, but take the time to slow down and appreciate where you are now. Enjoy this season of life and where you are today. And that's something that's only learned through experience, through realizing that rushing towards the thing tomorrow, that thing won't give you any more pleasure than what you have today, so you may as well enjoy where you're at. It's something that's learned through the experience of living through those things and chasing those things and living at both ends of that spectrum. The second way, and this is obviously the most important, and without it, the other two won't help you at all. Contentment must be received from Jesus. And he describes this, Paul describes this as a secret he's learned. He can do all things through Jesus who gives him strength. Because Jesus was the source of the strength that allowed Paul to be content in all those situations he went through. And he's the source of strength for our contentment as well. We have to remember that at the end of the day, without Jesus, we're just like children chasing shiny objects to make us happy. Without Jesus, we don't truly have a hope of being truly content. I mean, sure, we can say that we're content or find joy in the things we have when things are good, but without him, can we be content when things are bad? Do you think that Without Jesus, you could find contentment in your life if you lost everything and had to live on the streets. You think you could say, this is fine. If you were on a boat and the boat sank and left you floating in the middle of the ocean with no hope of rescue, could you shrug your shoulders and say, eh, it's all good. But that's the contentment that Paul had. And that's the contentment we can have through the strength offered to us by Jesus. The only thing Paul ever seems to not be content in is the spiritual health of the churches. Everything else in life, he's fairly content. Because when you have eternal hope in Jesus, it's hard to not be content regardless of what happens. Because it's so much better than all the other things that we're chasing in life. And the third thing is that contentment must be shared with others. And this one makes us a little uncomfortable. I know I said I wasn't going to preach a sermon about money, uh, but I never said I wasn't going to talk about it at all. So I, I didn't lie. But this is super applicable for our lives today because, again, we are like children chasing shiny objects to make us happy. But when we find contentment in Christ, 
We no longer worship or chase those things. Uh, we, know, we know that those things won't make us happy. We can still find enjoyment in things, but we don't look at them as something to fulfill us. We don't try and use things or happiness or pleasures or objects to replace Jesus' spot in our hearts. When we find contentment, we are willing to share what we have been blessed with to bless others. The Philippians realized the value of the gift they'd been given, and they said, you know what? We want others to experience this too. So they shared what they had with huge generosity. And as we see from Philippians When we share what we've been blessed with, it pleases God. It's a sacrifice pleasing to him, and he will bless us in return. So to conclude, we live in a world that is so fixated on the pursuit of happiness and on temporary pleasures and things. And we're all guilty at some point of buying into that lie that if we just work a little harder or buy that thing we've had our eye on, that it will bring us the happiness, fulfillment, and contentment that we've been looking for. But there's no lasting contentment to be found in those things. They're not fulfilling. True contentment and fulfillment, regardless of the circumstances in life, is hard to find. We can start to learn it through our experiences in life. It's part of the puzzle for sure, but ultimately it only comes through the strength given to us by Jesus. He is the source. And just as the Philippians received and gave, it was a partnership that went back and forth. So we too are to be both receivers and givers of what we have been blessed with. So as we conclude this sermon and this series on Philippians, I'll leave you with this. I'll ask you this question. In that story that I started with today, are you the rich business owner who's trying to chase fulfillment and contentment with your own hands to find that peace in life that you've just wanted for so long? Or are you the fisherman sitting beside his boat, thankful for the catch that God has given him and finding contentment right where he is at? Father God, we thank you for all that you have given us and all that you have blessed us with. But God, we recognize and know that the things of this world don't last and they don't matter in the ultimate picture of your plan for us. And we just ask that you would help us to recognize that, to sacrifice and let go, that you would help us to be content. Give us the strength we need so that no matter what occurs, whatever we endure, that we can find contentment in you and that we can be lights to the world around us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.